what I wanted to do first of all is to thank all of you for welcoming uh, myself and my wife Kimberly to Grand Rapids. A little over eight months ago, we moved from Chicago. And one of the things that I was thinking about was, okay, in fact, Rod said it all the time, ain't Dutch, ain't much. So I'm coming into a Dutch area. I'm not Dutch, I'm Italian. So I'm wondering what's going to happen here. And then this fall, Rod was preaching, and I realized this is my new home. Rod's making a point. Then he put his hands like this, and he said, capiche? Capiche, Italian slang, but you understand, you get it. I laughed so loud back there that I had to leave the gathering. So the other thing, true confession, and you can give Rod a hard time for this, but last week he said, Brian, you know, passion, emotion, uh, uh, using your hands. He goes, sometimes I wish I was Italian. So I wanted to say you are because that's what he does. So anyway, we're going to continue in numbers today. First of all, we look at um, how God has redeemed his people. The Egyptians, the 10th plague where the angel of death came down and all the firstborn males were killed by the Egyptians. But God said to his people, take a lamb, take its blood, put it over the threshold and death will pass over. And the next day they were free and they headed towards the Red Sea. And again, we had God protecting them with a pillar of fire. They go through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army goes after them. The sea comes down upon them, and they are saved. In Numbers, we see God's people truly becoming a nation, something that was promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. You'll be a people, and you will be a nation. God is in their camp, which is another thing we see in Numbers. We see the tabernacle, God's presence, literally in the middle of the camp, we see the Israelites around, surrounding the temple or the tabernacle. Then we see the tribes, three in the north, three in the east, three in the west, three in the south. We also know from Numbers 1 to 4 that this whole idea of counting has this lifting of one's head up. It's not a count the numbers, count the number of heads, but knowing the people, knowing the individuals. And saying, these are my people. Number six, the Nazarite vow. This idea of having a time of holiness, of set-apartness to God. And now we come to Numbers 6, 22 to 27. If you can please turn to that in your Bible. And uh, please stand up for the reading of God's word. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Be seated. 
Some of you may be thinking, okay, he just gave a benediction. Shortest sermon ever. Which means you might want me back quite a few times or this is my last time. So, But what I've learned just by studying and talking to other staff and reading it is these passages are so rich. You can mine them. And what we'll look at is uh, the Lord said to Moses first. That language, it's repeated. It's saying, pay attention to what I'm going to say. Aaron and his sons, this priestly blessing. Those priests stand in the gap between God and his people. This is a beautiful piece of writing, really a poetry, when you go to the Hebrew uh, language. The first line has three words. The second has five. The last one has seven. In the Hebrew context, numbers meant something. So three meant completeness. As we think of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Five, protection. We think of the five books of the Torah. And then seven meant perfection. During the time of the temple, this blessing was said twice a day over the Israelites. The morning and afternoon burnt offerings over the people. The Talmud says that at the time of the temple, the priests would raise their hands and make a sheen, or Hebrew letter, literally, like this, which represented the abbreviation for the name of God. They would pray that blessing over them. In 1979, there was an archaeological dig in the old Jerusalem. And if we can show that picture. In this archaeological dig, they found two small uh, amulets or necklaces that were about an inch wide. It took them three years, because it was so delicate, for them to actually spread it out. This is what they ended up with. And on this is written the priestly blessing from number six. It was so important. It was at the time, of six and cent- it's the 6th and 7th century B.C., the time of Jeremiah. This is the time before the exile of the southern tribes. So again, we see how important it is to them. In modern times, this blessing is said, uh, I was talking to Dan Mike, at a synagogue at the end of their worship time, several people will share this blessing. At the high holy festivals, a descendant of Aaron We'll say this blessing. Friday night, as Sabbath begins, parents will say this blessing over to their children. At weddings, with the canopy, the hoopah, they will say this blessing. There's another photo that Kimberly and I saw. It's a synagogue in the Loop in downtown Chicago. And what you can see is you can see the blessing... And if you get underneath the blessing in this sculpture, you'll see these hands of blessing reaching out. So that those that go into the synagogue, it's to say you are blessed. That priestly blessing. The bottom line is, I'd like us to say first and foremost, why is this blessing so important to the Israelites? Second of all, Why should it be important to us? We're going to have some fun. All right.
Again, first of all, he says, the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're going to do the priestly blessing. God was the source of this blessing, not the priests. In, in Canaan at that time, it was thought that the priest had this special power to evoke from a god or gods a blessing or a curse. That's not the case here. The word blessing that is used here in the Hebrew is barak. It literally means to bow down, to make yourself low, to lift someone high. And it's this idea that the Lord is making himself low and lifting up the Israelites, his people, his treasured possession. That's remarkable to think of the God of the universe is voluntarily saying, these are my people, I will bless them. I think of an adult kneeling down to be with a child. I have a, her name was, when she was four years old, Olivia Castle was this little girl. I have a picture of us, I'm kneeling down with her. And again, it is me saying, I'm an adult, I have power, intellect, etc. But but I want to be beside you, I want to come down to you. So to think about that is amazing. As Christians, we see this same Barak, this kneeling down, this bowing down, in a powerful way in the life of Jesus. Philippians 2, 6-8. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we look at the incarnation right now, as we look at Advent and we're coming to Christmas, we have pride and power and we have humility. First of all, the pride, the power, King Herod. King Herod was a powerful king. Kimberly and I learned that when we went to Israel this past summer. He had 11 palaces. Rome, the Caesars, loved him, blessed him. They said, you, you rule with an iron fist. To the Jewish people, he renovated the temple. Beautiful renovation. So this is a king who, not born a king, he became a king. He is a man of power, a man of might. His own family, he killed a number of his relatives, including his wife, because he felt a threat from her. or She wasn't faithful to him. Okay, we have King Herod. He gets a message. There are these astrologers, these wise men coming, probably in caravans, bringing these incredible, expensive gifts. And you could think, King Herod, with his ego, they're bringing him to me. I'm the king of the Jews, right? And they come to him, and they say, we are looking for the one born king of the Jews so that we may worship him. And they find Jesus. He is a humble king from the day of his birth. And they worshiped him. And he continued. 
being in a humble family, a poor family, with Mary and Joseph. The question might be, can Jesus go any lower than that, from the highest height to the incarnation? We see the washing of the disciples' feet. This church, uh, I really appreciate how much we talk about Jesus as a rabbi, that he had the followers and these disciples. The night he would be betrayed, he knew this. He knew who would betray him, Judas. He gets down, he lowers himself, and washes their feet. That should shock us. God's son would do that. And the question is, could Jesus go any lower than that? And then we have his betrayal, his torture at the Romans, and then he's nailed to a Roman cross, the most humiliating thing that anyone could have had uh, done to them in the Roman Empire. Public humiliation. But he willingly did that. It was his father's will. He embraced that. Why? He is the ultimate price. He had to make himself low so that we could be lifted high. That we could know full redemption. Just as the great redemptive story in the Old Testament is getting away from the Israelites or from the Egyptians by slaughtering that lamb and the blood being on the post, this is Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. That is the king that we serve. Now, we know now he is the highest of heights. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But this is what he was able and willing to endure for us as new creations in Christ. Now we have the Lord humbles himself before the Israelites. Jesus humbles himself, even death on a cross for us. Now the question is, we've been studying 1 Peter 2, 9. We are a kingdom of priests. And the question is, how can we bless others in humility? making ourselves lower so that they can be made higher. What does it look like? I don't know about you, and I confess my sin right now. I find it very hard to be humble and to serve when I think people don't deserve it. That's my own sin. I judge people at times. And when you think of Humbling yourself and your family. Think of how much history you have with your family. We just had Thanksgiving. Some people, that was an amazing time. Other people, I'm, I'm taking off Monday. I mean, this is just, you can, you can, I can't believe it. Everyone knows what buttons to push, right? Maybe, sorry, this is my family. My mom's going to listen to this at one point, so sorry, mom. But uh, there's all these buttons that people push. How can I, in humility, serve? My family. Your neighbors. What does it look like in your neighborhood? In your corner? Your coworkers. What does it look for you to be a humble servant to your coworkers? 
at Crossroads, what does it mean for us to serve one another? One of the things I appreciate so much, and Kimberly and I have had a lot of conversations about this, is as I applied for this position, I was speaking to a number of leaders, elders. Uh, Kimberly and I had a time to check out the church. Uh, all these different things that we went through. An interview with the elders. I could sense so clearly a spirit of humility. There wasn't an air. There wasn't a pride. There was a humility that drew me in and said, this is the kind of place I can worship at first and the kind of place that I want to be a pastor at. One of the ways that I think we can serve in humility is through prayer, which is often described as the language of humility. You literally, I mean, the bow down, you bow down on your knees. Therefore, you're lifting others up. What would that look like in your family to pray with them? And at times to pray for them right there. If people ask you to pray for them, I have found for myself, I am forgetful. The worst thing ever is to look at someone who said, pray for me, and I look at them, and I'm like, I didn't pray for you. If you actually ask, can I pray for you now? Are you comfortable with that? What a blessing that would be to people that are hurting, to people that are broken. You can have a tremendous impact. I visited a house church, which I love to do that. I love to see God's people together there. And one couple... They were describing something that they felt God called them to do, and that was to pray for their neighbors. Intentionally, certainly to get to know them, but ask them, how can we pray for you? And that was a big step in them saying, we really feel God calling us to that. So we looked at the Barak of the Lord, his kneeling, Jesus, and us as Christians. Now we have the Lord bless you and keep you, that first line. You is used as a singular. It's individual person, which is unusual. But the idea here is I'm speaking to you as an individual, but I'm also speaking in the context of the entire nation, the entire people. So it's everyone, everyone wanted to listen to this. And he says to keep you. Keeping is this idea of protection. It was used of a shepherd during the night when they were trying to protect the flock from predators. They would take briars and put them together, a briar fence, so that they could not go in and attack the sheep. We, again, we know about the Egyptian army, the pillar of fire. Now the Israelites, they're at a time where they're going to take the land of Canaan. They know that is what God's plan is. They know they need God's protection at that time. As Christians, Jesus offers that protection for us. What does it look like? John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Eternal life. When I first became a Christian, all I thought about that is heaven. It's heaven. Then I thought, I asked my pastor, Lee, 
Why don't we just go to heaven? Why are we still staying here? And he explained eternal life is a quality, is an abundance of life. It's described in the scriptures as having a relationship with God the Father, having a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in us. So right now, if you are a follower of Christ, you are experiencing eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. No matter what the circumstance you are in, and we've, we've spoken quite a bit about desert, the fact that the Israelites went from Egypt to the desert and then to the promised land. I'm here to say that if you are in a desert, Jesus is there with you. His presence is there. And many of you can give witness to that. We have a compassionate God. Jesus is compassionate, which literally means to suffer alongside. A ministry of presence. Sometimes when people suffer and we're with them, rather than filling the room with words, many times it's be there. You don't have to give all the answers. It's uncomfortable to be there, but you can do that. Another protection that Jesus offers us is from the evil one. And he's, this, he's described as a roar, roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Ephesians 6, we're all familiar with this, the armor of God. Just to read a, a few verses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you believe that? Do we live in the reality that we have an enemy? I think when we think of uh, uh, like a vacation Bible school and teaching children, uh, we can talk about the armor of God. We can put it in a song. We can give motions to it. I was asked by my home church, would you teach uh, Vacation Bible School uh, on Ephesians 6? I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I grabbed one of my college students. I said, hey, you work at Medieval Times. You know how they do the joust thing? I want a full outfit, man. I want the whole nine yards. If you want to come up to my office at some time to say hi, I have a four-foot sword that's, a, that's a, a claymore, a Scottish sword. So people are like, why do you have that? But anyway, <laughs> armor of God. So I was Sir Brian the Knight. I had, a cheesy, I had a cheesy accent. Sir Brian the Knight, I had my big sword, and I went through the armor of God. But then I came to a point where I was, I was at a crisis. I said, how much should I mention to these kids? You know, they're going in first grade through six about the evil one, about the devil. Is, that, is, it, is it too much? So I take my knights, costume. I go into the bathroom. I have a, a big suitcase. I put everything in. So in the middle of me putting everything in, first of all, this five-year-old uh, boy walks in. Well, first thing I'm thinking is, guess what? This kid's going to scream. Like, I'm going to be taken away. So I was like, hey, how you doing? It's okay. So this little boy says to me, I didn't ask him about this. I did. He says, do you know that the devil is real? 
I said, yes, I do. He said, do you know that Jesus beat him? And we don't need to be afraid. That was my answer. That was the next day that I went in and taught those children. Again, do we believe in the spiritual battle? Scriptures are filled with this idea. One of the areas that I wanted to mention that I think these forces, the evil one has a real stranglehold on is pornography. It is something that can disrupt the lives of men, their families, their marriage. I taught at Wheaton College, so I would have students come and talk to me just about life. I would say 75% of them would say, you know what, I've been exposed to pornography through the internet, through my smartphone. I'd say 50% of them said that it's a continued struggle. So what I would share today is, this is a spiritual battle. As one friend told me recently, this is war. Do we believe in the armor of God? Do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we believe that we need to come together as brothers for this? I just want to encourage you with that and challenge you really with that. Okay, Israel protected by the Lord. Christians protected by Jesus. How do we protect, how do we protect those that are vulnerable or disadvantaged? That's the real question for us. The idea here of having someone's back. We think of refugees. Can we even put ourselves in their shoes? They leave with nothing. They, they have their passport, maybe a little bit of money, nothing. They're relocated to an area where they know no one. The jobs that they had are no longer there. How can we come alongside the refugees, the immigrants? Hospitality is a very strong word throughout the Old and New Testament, and the meaning is to love the stranger. There's another word that means to fear the stranger. And the desire is to see Crossroads be a church that loves the stranger, welcomes the stranger. Orphan children, there's a Crossroads orphan ministry. This is what I got off the internet. To educate, encourage, and support families as they consider and pursue international or domestic adoption and foster care. That is something that Crossroads has put a stake in and said we will care for them. Think of your neighbors, especially those in under-resourced areas. How can we offer them protection as they're vulnerable? The last one I would add would be those with mental health conditions. These are people, many of them, family may have, has abandoned them or just said, you have, to, you have to do this on your own, can't hold a job, financially poor. You know, that is an area, too, in our world and those individuals that I think we can reach out to. So we have the Lord bless you and keep you, protection. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. His face shine upon you. God is light. So this idea of a star, 
you look up in the sky, I'm an astronomy geek, uh, you look up in the sky, I actually have a telescope, and you can tell the difference between a star and a planet. Very easy. A star, you have the twinkle, the star is giving off light. It's giving off energy. So you see that twinkling. If you look at a planet, the light is steady because the sun is giving off light. The planet is just reflecting that light. And God is that light. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So God spreads his light into the lives of people. He does this, and it says, be gracious to you. He is gracious to them. And that is showing favor, unmerited grace. So although this light is coming at the Israelites, the idea is I see you, I know you, I accept you. I offer my grace to you. Bringing those two ideas together, the Lord shines the light of his presence into the lives of people and offers them his grace and favor. The Lord draws close to them. I see you and I offer you grace, not shame. As Christians, Christ's light shines into our lives. First of all, when we, came to, when we came to faith in Christ, when you say I'm a follower of Christ, there was a time of darkness. There's a time when, when you were controlled, in a sense, by sin. But then, at a certain point, Christ shed his light into you, and you said, no, I will repent, I will turn from that. And face Jesus and say, I will follow you. And you've done that. Now, the question is, how do we, as Christians, reflect Christ's light to others? I think there's, there's two ways to, to understand it that seem simple to me. I'd call it gospel words, which are these words of evangelism, these words of prayer, and gospel works, which I think go back to the heart of Micah 6, 8. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So now we have the full blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and grant you peace. Again, these, things, these are amazing truths. God, the Lord is saying, I want to look you in the face, Israelites. I see you. I know you. You don't need to look away. He's making eye contact with us. I see this, um, I've done a lot, did quite a bit of international travel for Wheaton College, and, you know, when I came out, it was not a big deal. I'd, you know, grab something at McDonald's and grab a taxi and go home. But for some of these people, as they came from international destinations, I'd come out and there'd be like 15 people with balloons, signs. I mean, they were like, when we see this person, we're going to let them know, here we are. Just imagine when that person locks the eyes to that other person. That group does. There he is. That's this idea of what God's doing, what the Lord's doing. He's locking his eyes on the Israelites. Give you peace. And again, this is a church that's talked a lot about shalom. Peace is not first and foremost, in this sense, just conflict resolution. The idea here 
is wholeness, completeness, contentment. One translation that I, I really liked. The Lord lift up the wholeness of his being towards you and will set everything in its proper place and bring you wholeness. As Christians, we offer this wholeness through Christ. Especially by that first wholeness that happens as people come to faith in Christ. One, one story. The more you get to know, you'll be like, Brian, he's tell more stories. One story, there was a couple, Mike and Liz. Liz worked with my wife, Kimberly. And I knew Mike and Liz living together. I, I knew that they were not involved in a church or a faith. Kimberly's like, hey, Liz asked if you could uh, perform the wedding ceremony. And I, immediately I'm like, what are you doing? I'm busy. Why would you do that? And my wife very lovingly said, you know, basically... Just suck it up and go do it. So, which I need a lot of. So I met them at a coffee place, and I thought, you know what? Dan, uh, Mike had long hair, tattoos, Harley. I mean, the whole thing. The Harley. I look like this, right? <laughs> right? I got my geek suit on. I thought, as soon as they see me, there's no way I'm going to perform that ceremony. So I'm like, okay, here we go. They, they sit down. Mike is just kind of looking back at me. This is very nice. And I said, I'll do the wedding, but what I want to do is I'd like to ask three questions. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And why is it important? And they said, okay. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I showed up at their house, and they had probably five or six Bibles laid out on the table. They had found every Bible that was ever given to them. So they're ready. There's a, uh, Mike is smoking, and he has a fan. He, do, he doesn't want me to be affected by it, so he has a fan blowing out the window. So he's blowing like this. We get the Bibles open. I'm studying Luke, uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I said, this is a great place for us to start. The Jesus film, which Cramps Crusade did, I think, 1980. I said, you know, you may want to watch this. I said, it'd be really great because you'll get a whole picture of it. Come back two weeks later. They'd watched it six times. They started getting into the Word. Incredible time. Then they came to a point. Brian, we want to become Christians. Can we do that? Yeah, we could do that. You'd hope. So what was wonderful is there was a contentment, a peace, a shalom on their lives. But when I really saw this is when I did the ceremony, because it was the first public profession of their faith. And I tell you, when I looked out at them, and I saw their life, that's what I saw, peace, shalom. And I met with Mike about two years ago, and he described involvement in the local church, their children, and, and their life was just this beautiful, beautiful picture of peace. The question is, what areas of your life do you need peace? You want this wholeness, completeness, contentment. Relationships, your financial situation, work, ministry, health. Philippians 4, very familiar. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by by thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A lot of times I want to go to the do not be anxious. I want the answer right now. This is not what the text says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The first response is worship. The acknowledgement, this is my God. This is my God. Then it says, your gentleness be evident to all. Another way for that is to be humble. Worship God. Be humble. Then as you continue, we pray, but we pray with thanksgiving. Not just a supplication, a thanksgiving prayer. And as we go through that progression, then it talks about a peace that transcends all understanding. That's what we need to pray that prayer again with faith, to pray that prayer with one another. Finally, we've got the full picture here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace so that they put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Name in that culture, it meant character, it meant identity. And God was saying, point blank, these are my people, God's chosen people, the Israelites. Our identity is Christians. We say it so often, I think, that we, we don't really let it, it sink in and really grasp it. Our identity. We're followers of Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're adopted sons and daughters of the King. At Crossroads Bible Church, we say we're a family. You may think, boy, that's, maybe that's just a cheesy phrase they have or marketing phrase or they're trying to create some sort of community what I would say is the reality is if you are a follower of Christ and you are here there truly is a family there's more that that we have in common as brothers and sisters in Christ than differences amen I get an amen I love that I I gotta tell you I actually had like five or six people at certain points were gonna say amen but they they didn't do it I think that's sin. I think that's sin. <laughs> I'm looking front. I'm going to talk to them a little bit later. Um, they'll be coming to my office with a big sword, and just kind of sitting there looking at it. Um, and the great thing about this is it's not just we're brothers and sisters here. We're brothers, brothers and sisters within Grand Rapids. In the United States, I think of a time at Wheaton, we went to visit a federal, it was actually a state penitentiary in Louisiana called Angola. 5,500 prisoners, no parole. There was a cemetery there that just covered so much ground. You come there, you're going to die there. What we saw, though, is that we went to a classroom where a seminary was there, and these individuals would go through two years of seminary training, and for each of the five divisions of the prison were thriving churches where there was worship, 
where there was word, where there was prayer. It was, we thought, of course, we're going to bless them. We're coming to visit them, the prisoner. And, of course, the blessing we received there, God is alive and well at a place like Angola. And also internationally, um, boy, we, you know, last week we heard from a brother uh, uh, just talking about the church in South Africa. And again and again and again, you can talk to, to Matt and Jeremiah about what God is doing all over the world. The final picture I want to give you of your identity in Christ is from Revelation 22.4. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That is what we are heading towards for all eternity. As a kingdom of priests... We can say this blessing over ourselves. We can say this blessing within crossroads. We can say this blessing on our street corner. One of the things uh, I wanted to do was that rather than me as a pastor giving a benediction at the end of our time, Mark, one of the people in the congregation, at the end is going to give this benediction as a way of saying all of us as a kingdom of priests can be sharing this with others and be about this. The other thing to let you know is there are staff that are here after the service. We would love nothing more than to pray with you. If you need prayer, please come up front. We would love to do that. All right. Praise God.